My name is Pablo Navarro, and I beat the often path by realizing I could never be the best at supporting every single founder in Latin America, but I could connect each and every one of them with the coach that would help them transform. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us today is Pablo Navarro, a former college classmate of mine. I've kept up with Pablo's adventures since graduation, what seems like forever ago, and I've come to realize that his journey is just so profound and fits so clearly with what we're trying to do on this show. He grew up in Colombia and he worked his way up to an MBA at Dartmouth. He took his knowledge and applied it to startups and nonprofits in San Francisco, but here's where things get really interesting. He moved back to Colombia and became an angel investor, recognizing that the Colombian startup community was underserved. He co-founded a $26 million venture capital fund there, which is just such an amazing idea. Now he's founded Cocora, a platform that connects leaders in Latin America to coaches, and he's so passionate about transforming the business climate of his home country and beyond. This man has truly beaten the often path. I'm Ross Palmer, and here right now is Pablo Navarro. All right, well, it's great to have you here on the show, Pablo. This is a first for me. Well, because you're the first person from Colorado College, I think, uh, a school that we both went and did our undergrad at. However, there's a difference between you and me. When you graduated from Colorado College, you went and did some incredible things. Now, I, I tried to set the world record for Flappy Bird, and that is a lot tougher than it seems. You see, there's pipes that come from the top. There's pipes that mm -hmm. come from the bottom. Just when you think you're going up, you're going down. And when you're going down, you're going hard down. So, you know, what have you done? Yeah, um, I don't know. I did my best. So I graduated in 2008. It was the middle of the financial crisis. I'm from Colombia. So at that point, my goal was just get a job. Just anything that would sponsor <laughs> my work visa. Right. Ideally, wanted to get into consulting. I applied to every consulting firm. Most of them, you know, I applied. I went to interviews. Most of them said no. But then I remember that just as I was interviewed for, you know, one of those nonprofits that canvas on the streets and ask you to sign petitions. Yeah. Well, I was already applying to them because I knew that nonprofits didn't have a cap and could just hire any immigrant and give an H-1B. So at least that's what I thought. But anyways. I was already okay. doing that when I got a job at Ernst & Young and joined their transfer pricing practice in Chicago. Um, so they generally hire mostly out of people that are doing masters in economics, um, but I had studied mathematical economics and had somehow convinced them that I knew enough about mathematics and economics and, and transfer pricing, which is a, it's, it's not really that interesting, so I won't get too much into it. Okay. Um, but I managed to convince them to, that I was worth enough to hire. And I was fortunate enough to join their practice in Chicago. Then I did my MBA at Dartmouth. Then I worked at Amazon where my job was to launch new business units, um, mainly the flower category, which most of the flowers we bought from Columbia. Really? Then that, that itself is surprising and shocking news. <laughs> the flower <yeah>. category, <laughs> most of the flowers come from Columbia. Okay, yeah, that's hardly for, common for that, knowledge. For, yeah, for that category. Okay. I think right now a lot of them come from Ecuador, um, but Colombia mm. has always been a huge um, flower exporter, um, huh. particularly roses. So I oh. ended up learning a lot about flowers, a lot okay. more than I ever thought I would learn about flowers, but it was good. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did that, and then I moved to San Francisco, 
Uh, I first worked for a startup called Sorcery that eventually became Cheetah. And we help restaurant owners think about, think about it as Instacart. But instead of you ordering the groceries for your home, it's the restaurants ordering potatoes, meat, chicken, etc. in bulk for their kitchens. After that, I joined Code 2040, which is a nonprofit that supports Blacks and Latinxs in the tech industry as their senior director of partnerships, then senior director of finance. And right around that time, I moved back to Colombia. Um, and a big part of that was because part of my mission in life is to support the startup ecosystem in Colombia and in Latin America. When I moved back, I became a mentor for Endeavor, which is an organization that supports entrepreneurship worldwide. I became a mentor for several startups. I made my first angel investments. And in 2020, along with two partners, we started Marathon Ventures, which is a $26 million venture capital fund based in Colombia. Um, at the time, we were the biggest independent venture capital fund in the country. I believe we still are. And throughout that journey, you know, as, as an operator, as a founder, as an investor, I realized that sometimes as a founder, you're very lonely. And you could very much use that person to shorten your learning curve. I know if you've experienced it as a founder, you know, maybe, I don't know, you, you oh, did never. something wrong with your taxes the first time around. And you know, no, no mean to pour salt in a wound there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you can have somebody that can help you avoid all those you, yeah. mistakes. Sure. <laughs> you know, all, all, all those mistakes can be a great thing. When I was working at Marathon, we were launching Marathon, I looked for a coach. I realized that the coaches in Colombia were really good at supporting executives at oil companies, at banks, at CPGs, kind of like the traditional companies that have dominated the ecosystem in Latin America, right? But when you want somebody that has a little bit of context on venture capital, on startups, they get a little bit lost. They, they, some of them can be effective, but not as effective, and I couldn't connect with them well. And in the U.S., they were really expensive. Mm. So what I ended up doing was convincing a friend of mine that I had worked with at Amazon to give me a 70% discount as an executive coach. She was an executive coach now as a favor so I could afford her. And, and it was a transformational experience for me. And, and I want each and every leader in Latin America to have that experience. And it's why I launched Cocora, which is the company that I'm CEO of right now. And the name Cocora comes from El Valle del Cocora, which is a valley in Colombia where the tallest palm trees in the world grow. And I want Cocora to be the place where leaders in Latin America come to achieve their potential. And, and the sky is the limit. I don't want us to think, hey, we're going to be the best in Colombia or Mexico or Latin America. We can be the best worldwide because ultimately that's what we're capable of. And, and that's why I built Cocora. We connect, you know, top tier executive coaches with leaders in Latin America. Well, that's a pretty impressive story. We've gone all the way around the world in just a few minutes here. Uh, that's impressive. What I did after college, as you see, I tried to drink as much beer as I possibly could out of a giant glass shoe, uh, a feat that I accomplished. So, you know, who did more? Who's more impressive? You know, I don't it's know. It's all subjective. It's, all, it's subjective. all subjective. I know that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like I accomplished a lot. Uh, but no, you, you've done an incredible amount of stuff, obviously. So Colorado College, that was your first time 
in the United States. Did you come for college? Yeah. Or yeah. So yeah. what was the thought that brought you to an obscure liberal arts college in Colorado Springs, Colorado? Yeah. How did you yeah. end up there to begin with? <laughs> so that's a great story. So you know, I, I went to um I went to an American high school in my hometown. So, you know, did the SATs, did the pre-SATs, and you know, I had always thought about what it would be like to go to school in the US. And and I knew what university life was like in Colombia. My my sister uh, at the time was going to University of Los Andes, which is the best university in Colombia, arguably one of the best private universities in Colombia. And I knew what that was like, but I had no idea what life would be like as a college student in the US. So my criteria was, I don't know if it was the best, but my selection criteria was, you know, I want top academics because I know that if I'm going to go somewhere, I want to go somewhere where I'm pushed and I can excel. Um, I'm going to apply with full financial aid because my parents couldn't afford to pay for an education in the U.S. And I want to be in a small town in the middle of nowhere. I want to <laughs> get a that experience. Check. I don't. Check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I was like, I don't want to go to. LA. I don't want to go to Miami. Yeah. Why would I go to Miami <laughs> it, to man. hang out with a bunch of Colombians and spend in dollars? No. Right. I can do that in Colombia. I want to go somewhere where I'm the only Colombian, yeah. where I'm one of a few Latin Americans, yep. and I can get a, a deep you know, U.S. experience. And Colorado College sent me an email saying, hey, if you apply, we'll waive your application fee. Okay. Um, at the time, my counselor really wanted me to apply to... I think it was like George Washington University in, in D.C. And I, and I was like, no, I want to go to a small town. And started reading up about C.C. I liked it. And coincidentally enough, there was a teacher in my high school who was from Colorado Springs. And, you know, she, she was also, she was um, very beautiful physically. And, you know, senior Pablo. That's important Pablo, to note. <laughs> that adds color yeah, to the story. Yeah, so sen senior Pablo just started talking to this teacher. And she was going on and on about how, you know, Colorado Springs was beautiful. People mm -hmm. said hi to you on the streets and mm -hmm. the mountains and the weather. I think little Pablo had a crush on her. Mm -hmm. And he was like, this all sounds wonderful. I want to go to Colorado College. Where math is freely available on every street corner. All of the beautiful things of Colorado Springs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. What, uh, yeah. But anyways, you know, she told me, you know, all yeah. jokes aside, she told me about, you know, Pike Speak and how everybody was super open. And I felt that I would definitely be the only, you know, Latin American there. I, I honestly thought it would be more like Texas. I thought it was going to be going to rodeos and stuff Cowboys. like that. Nice. Uh, Definitely not my CC experience, but mm. but still loved it a lot. Okay. So that was your first foray. And then from there, you did a giant tour of the United States, uh, which is just wild. Um, what brought you then to Chicago, to Silicon Valley, uh, to Amazon? Was that just pursuing where opportunity led you? Or did you have a conscious plan to really explore more of the country at that point? Yeah. So I did want to explore. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer, like, even when I got to Colorado College, like I wanted to do everything that I hadn't explored, right? Like I played rugby, I joined the fraternity, I left the fraternity, I recited poetry, like I liked exploring. And, you know, I always felt that, listen, if somebody from abroad visits Colombia, I want them to get into it. You know, if they come to my hometown, which has the second biggest carnival in South America, Ooh, I, love I don't carnival. want them to see the carnival. I want them to dance in the parade. Yeah. And I want them to fully embrace it. And I wanted to explore different parts of the United States. You know, Chicago, 
To be honest, I was a little bit tricked. I visited Chicago in the summer because my cousin <laughs> lived there. She was working at Northwestern at the time. Okay. And I was like, this is wonderful. The weather's this beautiful. It's cheap. It's, it's, it's on clean. Earth. <laughs> Everybody's nice. Everybody says hi to you on the streets. This is human, wonderful. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then I went back and every single company that I applied to, I'd make sure they had a Chicago office and I would apply to the Chicago office. Mm. And then, you know, like even I think, I think it was my Ernst & Young interview or some of the other interviews, they were like, you know, like we want to interview, but we cannot fly you out and we don't have an office in Colorado Springs. And I would just make up trips. I would just be like, oh, oh, actually I have a cousin getting married Three weekends from now, would 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 that Thursday work for you? And then I would just make up random excuses to fly to Chicago and interview with the company. Cool. That's smart. Um, so that's how I ended up in Chicago. And then I discovered Chicago Winters, which mm-hmm. my cousin did not tell me about. Um, <laughs> she had already left Chicago by the time I got her. I got there, by the way, um, which was lovely. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, Dartmouth, it was, it was very much, it, it was... I love small, intimate environments with a strong community. And, and that was my experience at Tuck when, when I applied there. Um, yeah. So, I, so, I, so your vision then, um, because you started getting immersed in startup culture and you started wanting to be a part of that, did that happen naturally? Was that something you also consciously sought out? Yeah, um, so I did. Um, you know, so when I was when I was working at Ernst Young, I, I got involved with the Entrepreneur of the Year awards, and I was really intrigued by everything that was going on in technology. And I don't remember two of our classmates, I remember Drew and Josh, who are working at Google. Uh, so you know, like I was seeing some of our classmates do really interesting things with with up and coming tech companies. And I said to myself, "Listen, like this is going to be a thing. It's going to start in the U.S., but eventually it's going to get everywhere in the world." So, so when I apply to business school, actually my business school essay was, I'm going to go to business school. I'm going to work for the top tech companies in the U.S., learn from the best, learn from the most developed companies in the ecosystem, and then eventually go back to Latin America and use that knowledge and that insight and those relationships to foster economic development in, in my country and in my region. Um, so startups I loved, and I just sought out opportunities to get involved, right? Like... Mm. A friend of mine at a soccer team, his brother's girlfriend had a startup and they needed people to help on the nights and weekends. So I volunteered and I helped on the nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like sought out opportunities to, yeah. to get involved because I know most startups wouldn't want to hire a tax consultant at Ernst Young, mm-hmm. which is what I was doing at the time. Interesting. Well, I mean, everybody needs it. Like you said, if you're a, a founder and you don't know your taxes, you're in big trouble. Um, yeah. So, all right, so you go over to Amazon, you work your way up. We'll cut out a little bit of that story because I want to get to the next most important piece. What I'm very, yeah. very fascinated about, and it's actually a theme, I mean, you wouldn't know this, but it's a theme that was, that's come up on this show repeatedly. And what I very, very much love is the arc of when somebody, they start from a hometown, humble beginnings, they go, they explore, sometimes to the U.S., to Europe, to wherever, or to Africa, God knows where, and then... Instead of just staying there, some part of them feels that they need to bring something back to where they were. And you came back to Colombia because you could have just stayed, I'm pretty sure. But you went back and then you ended up creating a venture fund for Colombian startups, which had 20-some million dollars in it. Uh, Why did you decide to bring what you learned and your knowledge back to Colombia? And how many years was it before you actually came back? 
Yeah, that's a great question. My my view on this might differ from other people, um, but you know, I growing up, I had a certain amount of privilege, mm. right? You know, and I was my parents were willing and able to pay for me to go to an American high school, which allowed me to be bilingual. You know, I had roof on my head. I had food on my table. That's not the case for everybody in Colombia. You know, we're a middle-income country. We're doing well, but not everybody had those opportunities. And I think from a very young age, I always thought that with that privilege, with those opportunities, at least for me, comes some sense of responsibility to give back. And, and that doesn't mean that if you're Colombian and you're living abroad, you need to come back. No, that's you're free to live your life. But to me, I wanted to give back. I wanted to contribute. I wanted that. You know, I'm somebody who always thought about that, hey, you know, if maybe I would have been born to another family or to another set of parents in my country, like I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have. I wouldn't have the I wouldn't have I wouldn't be where I am. And and I want to I want to help other people in Latin America um, break out of poverty. Uh, and it's also why I was really drawn to the tech sector. Because I think it has a, a huge potential for um, you know for economic impact and and for social mobility, which is something that I can elaborate on a little bit further if you want. Yeah. For sure. And the concept of giving back, I have a thought on that because <clears throat> I've been historically somewhat critical in a joking way of Colorado College because for years after I graduated, I was inundated. I was sent mailings and I was living in Europe. I was thousands of miles away. I was sent a mailing saying, give back, give back, give back, donate, 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 donate. And I joke and I say, give back to what? Because you're a private institution sitting on enormous amounts of capital. Uh, a lot of money was paid to you for services rendered. In what sense am I giving back? You charge $80,000. I didn't get any money, by the way, from Colorado College themselves. I had a scholarship from the Betra Foundation in Colorado, which to, to them, I'm eternally grateful because they provided my opportunity to go to that school um, because I didn't have the money at all. <clears throat> they provided a full-ride scholarship for me. So I I always thought to myself, what do I need to give back to Colorado College for? It's like uh, the, the Rolex dealer asking you to give back years after you bought a watch or the Mercedes dealership asking you to give back after you bought a $100,000 car. It's like I purchased a luxury product from you. I got some services, but I don't see what I need to give back to you. Uh, but one of the things to their credit that Colorado College has always done well, and if you look at the people who graduated, like you cited two people who worked at Google, they did instill in their small class of, let's say, 1,800 students, this feeling of with privilege comes responsibility. And one thing that if you look at the graduates of Colorado College versus other schools, and I could say, broadly speaking, let's say Harvard or some of these other top tier schools, a lot of the Colorado College kids went on to do things in nonprofits. They went on to have a greater, more global perspective on what it means to be an intelligent and hardworking person in the world, and they contributed to causes that are truly noble. If I look at some of the people, I'm blown away by what they've achieved, yourself included, obviously, in that. So there's there's definitely pros and cons, but I also share your sense of that with great privilege comes great responsibility, and that's part of why I do this show. There's an asking of a question 
instead of just what can I get from this system, how much money can I extract from this system, what good can I do with the talents and position and skills that I have? And that's why I wanted to have you here on the show, because I, I recognize that. And that is the key element. If you just went on to make billions and you were super rich, I wouldn't be super interested in your story because for me, it's the how and the why that makes it interesting. So I just wanted to quickly sidestep real quick. Now I'll come back. <laughs> All right. So talk to me about yeah. what you experienced. Yeah in Colombia and and how you felt that you could make a difference via the method that you chose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so so co- obviously coming back to Colombia was a little bit of a culture shock. At least I tell people at first it was culture bliss. And then reality hit that this is very different than where I grew up most of where, where I spent most of my adult life, which was in the US. Um, so that transition took a little bit a little bit of time to to adjust. Um, but but what I found was a nascent ecosystem. What I found is, you know, in in Latin America, we don't have a talent gap, but we do have an experience gap, right? Like you go to Silicon Valley, you have generations of executives and founders that have worked at tech companies, that have worked at hypergrowth VC-backed companies. And when you come to Latin America, that's not the case. You have generations of people that have worked at banks and oil companies and, and family businesses. And what I what I saw was, you know, a nascent ecosystem with really, really, really smart, driven people. Um, and they they with that hunger, with, with that hunger and, and I think that, you know, oftentimes in a way entrepreneurs can be like wine. You know, like the harsher the terrain, the harsher you have to fight, the the better the wine, right? Like the better the founders. And, you know, especially in Colombia, we always, you know, it, for, it has pros and cons, but, you know, people in Colombia, they're, they're warriors. Like, you're used to scarcity, you're, you're used to fighting for things. And I saw that, uh, and I saw an amazing opportunity. And I also saw some amazing founders that couldn't raise capital or would raise capital at terms that would make any founder in the U.S. or Silicon Valley cringe. And that's where we saw an opportunity. Um, you know, first, I was an angel investor. I didn't really have a lot of money. Honestly, the only money that I had was basically I had a little bit of arbitrage because I kept my U.S. job, but I was living in Colombia. And I could have been responsible and paid for my MBA student loan, but but instead I saved money and, and started making angel investments. How cool is that? Wild. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, so, so I did that, and then you know, along with my partners, um, you know, who today are the managing partners of Marathon and are the ones that, you know, they they were the ones that were really like leading the charge when we started the fund. Um, along with them, we saw an opportunity to support founders, and and to give them access to capital, access to support, and to take a more quote unquote founder friendly approach to support founders, and and I think that's the impact that we wanted to have. That's so cool. What are some of the types of businesses that you invested in? What are some of the people that you were able to help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so several. So as an angel, um, I invested in three companies. Um, you know, one of them is Tributi, which is like Turbo Tax, but focused on Latin America. Um, the other one's called Ubits, uh, which was founded by Julian Melo and, and Marta Forero. And it's sim- sim- similar to Coursera, but for- focused on B2B clients. Um, in Latin America, and and the third one, which you know arguably has been the more the one that has grown the most and has been one of the most successful startups in the region, 
is called Furuana. And very similar model to Restaurant Cheetah, uh, which is, you know, really funny because, you know, Fruana was starting in a much smaller market than Restaurant Cheetah, right? Like serving that need for restaurant owners to purchase food in bulk. And, but their growth rate was exponential, even when you, when you turn it into dollars, because the market is much more fragmented. You know, in the, in the U.S., I don't know if you've seen like any of the Cisco or U.S. food struck on the road. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. I think that, yeah. yeah, there's like a statistic, crazy statistic. I don't remember the exact number, but it's, it's like more than 30% of the trucks on the road at any point in time are related to a food distributor, to a major food distributor. And it's hmm. a very consolidated market in the U.S., well, in Latin America, it's super fragmented. Like r- small restaurant owners will go to the, you know, the kind of like the, the um, it's called Corabastos in Bogota, but basically like the huge, it's not a farmer's market because farmer's market in the U.S. denotes like super fancy, expensive things. This is like a massive, you know, think of it as like a logistics center with like all the trucks with all the produce from around the country comes. Okay. And then the far, and then the, and the restaurant owners go there and buy their products. Right. But it takes time, right? Yeah. And when with Fruana, they don't have to do that. And when COVID hit, it ended up being a huge accelerator for the business. Because restaurants were still open because, you know, thanks to Rappi, which is similar to DoorDash, but for Latin America, people were still ordering food. They couldn't leave their house, but they were ordering food. And restaurants had dark kitchens. And of course, you know, restaurant owners either couldn't or didn't want to expose themselves to the health risks that would entail going to an open market. Mm. So they would all start ordering from Fluana. So the, that company had exponential growth. It was funded by Fancho, uh, Fabian Gomez, who was from my hometown um, and has done an amazing job as a founder and has built an amazing leadership team. This podcast is brought to you by my digital agency, Aloa. That's A-L-O-A, Digital Agency, a digital marketing agency that helps brands and nonprofits on a mission tell their story. We do website prototyping, design, UI, UX, SEO, CRO, content, 3D design and video, animation, industrial design, content management, learning management systems, and our roots are in e-commerce, managing and building extensive catalogs with hundreds or even thousands of products. In short, we do everything that brands need to grow their digital presence with simple transparency monthly pricing that you can build a la carte. So learn more at aloa.agency. That's A-L-O-A dot agency. So these people changing their life, do you ever get the comment of, you have changed my life? Has anybody ever said to you, thanks, Pablo, you made a huge difference? Do you ever feel like you fundamentally changed the arc of a human being in those days? I know now that's probably more the case, but we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great question. Um, I've been fortunate enough to to experience that at multiple points in my life. Um, and, and you know, I I don't know if change their lives is 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 the right framing because I think that people ultimately are owners of their destiny, but but having a positive impact. Um, you know, one of the things that that I remember is when I was in the U.S., I went back to Colombia uh, one summer, and I went back to my high school and I told them about college life in the U.S. And see, my high school, it's very particular, right? Like, in general, at least in my time, people would apply to universities, either, you know, Ivy League, so like either apply to like, you know, Brown or Penn or Columbia, 
or they would apply to universities where other people they knew had gone to school. So, you know, Purdue, FIU, we had a lot of people that went to Georgia Tech because we had the kind of like the Rotaract Scholarship in Georgia. And, and nobody had gone to a liberal arts college. Nobody knew what a liberal arts college was. And I went there and I remember talking to one of the classes and I was like, you know, like, you know, the class was two years younger than, than, than the one that I was. And I was telling them about CC and about hockey and about rugby and about all the fun things. Right. Most people looked at me like I was a three-headed, you know, like I had like three heads. They were like, well, what, what, are, the, what are the clubs like? And I'm like, there, there's, there's probably clubs in Colorado Springs. I haven't yeah. been to them and I'm probably not that interested in going to them. They're like, let me tell you about slacklining. Did you know that you can put up a rope between any <laughs> yes, two trees yes, and you yes, can yes. walk on that rope? Sack. They're like, hacky oh sack. my God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that you really need to know. They're completely unprepared for college life in the United States, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that talk did have an impact on somebody in that class um, whose name is Alexandra Feldre. And Alexandra Feifle ended up applying to CC. I think I did everything possible to get her into CC. She didn't get in, which oh, was no. a huge loss for CC. Yeah. She didn't end up going there. Dang. She ended up getting to Connecticut, getting into Connecticut College with a full ride. She graduated top of her class and class president. She since then has had an amazing experience in finance. I think right now she must be like VP or managing director at JP Morgan. Um, and has had an incredible career and, and, you know, several times I talked to her and she was like, you're the reason why I ended up applying to liberal arts colleges. Mm. And, and to me, you know, that's one of the most satisfying feelings that, that you can have as a human being is having just the slightest positive impact on somebody's lives and, and helping them achieve something great. Yeah, I, I completely agree. People often look at my content and then they say that watching me makes them feel a lot better about their own lives. So <laughs> that's the way that I'm able to contribute myself. Uh, it's something I take pride in. Well, that, that brings us to what we're really... <laughs> so, Kokora, you switched yet again, and you've got a new platform, new concept. So I'm always fascinated by how things morph and change. What made you then decide, okay, maybe I can more directly help people with this new thing. Yeah. I think a, a big part of it was the impact the coaches I worked with had on me. So the, actually, I would say there, there, there's a couple of things. You know, so the, on the one hand, when I joined Marathon, I was the operating partner. And my mission as the operating partner was to support the founders in our portfolio. And Really enjoyed doing that. We did have a very big impact in the lives of several founders. And one of the things that I noticed is that if you want to mentor somebody, if you want to coach something, there's a very strong chemistry component. I might be the best coach in the world, but if you and I don't have that chemistry, it's not going to be that effective. And, and it's simply not possible. right? You, you just cannot be the best person to support every founder. And I had to remember, right, like when I was joining Marathon, I joined Marathon. Well, we go, we started Marathon at the time I was in a sabbatical. And as I did a lot of soul searching, I was like, what do I want to be the best at 10 years from now? And I remember writing, I want to be the best at coaching startup founders in Latin America. And I realized, well, that's not going to happen because it's physically not possible. Right. Imagine that can never that, happen. Yeah. Right. 
But I realized that what I'm really good at is connecting people. Mm. And I was like, sure, I'm, I might not be able to find that coach for everybody. I might not be that coach for everybody, but I can help find that coach for every person. That, that exact coach is going to have the, the right impact at the exact right time. That was one piece. And then the second piece is I personally experienced the power of coaching and how that changed me professionally, personally. And, and I can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, later. well, I, I got to know. We have to find out how did it change? What are some of the things that changed in your life when you took on a coach? Yeah. I think one of the most impactful things that a coach has taught me is that sometimes we look at our lives, look at all the situations around us, we look at all the constraints around us, and we adapt to them, which is great and it's valid. And it's one way of living. And then there's another way of living where you take a step back you look within, you connect with your values, with who you are. You figure out where you want to go in the world. You know, where is it that I want to get to? Great. This is where I want to get to. How can I rearrange all the factors of my life and all the restraints in my life and constraints in my life to work towards that? And I've learned versions of this from coaching and from my own experience. And I can give you an example. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when I moved back to Colombia, I was happy as a clown. I was still working for Code 2040. And at the time, I had a U.S. salary and living expenses in pesos. In theory, it was supposed to be temporary. <laughs> right. Right. And I was, I was like, this is awesome. I was like, yay, I have money. I'm super frugal. I still lived in like a studio apartment, like saving every penny I could to pay my student debt. And I was like, great, you know what? I'm going to make some investments in startups. But whenever I was thinking about applying for a job, I was like, no, the job needs to pay very well because I need to pay back my MBA student debt because, you know, I, I, so I help my parents financially. I need to be able to do those things. I need to pay for my living expenses. And that's how I went through all my life. And there were opportunities that I didn't take because I was like, well, how am I going to pay the rent? How am I going to pay my MBA student debt? How am I going to pay all these things? Like, Blah, blah, blah. Yep. And, you know, when, when I was at, you know, I have one story, right? I have Fruana, which is arguably the best company that I've been, you know, the company that has been more successful out of my angel investments. And a funny thing happened. I believed in the company, I believed in the founder. I was ready to invest. I had just spent most of my savings on my last two investments which are angel investments are highly liquid and, and highly risky. And the week that Code 2040, you know, the, the lawyers had told me, hey, your green card from Code 2040 has been approved. You're going to move back to the U.S. You seem to go get your interview. And that week, we ended up laying off 42% of the staff in Code oh. 2040, uh. including me. Ugh. So in one full swoop, lost my U.S. salary, e lost my green card. Still had both my MBA student debt and a mortgage in Seattle, Ooh, and and just to put fun. put those in to put <laughs> nice. those two in perspective, just like my monthly payments, you know, before rent, food, anything, were about eight to twelve 
minimum wages in Colombia. Okay. So I was like, oh, okay, my reality shifted completely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and of course, Colombia 40 was great during all the transition, you know, among other things, we all got severance. And I was waiting for my severance check. And, you know, the, the financial founder of Ruana calls me up and he's like, hey, Pablo, you know, like, I want you in the round. I want you to come in, but I'm closing the round on Saturday, whether you're in or not. And I was like, fine, Chu, just give me a few more weeks. Let me get my severance check. And, and it's like, Pablo, I want to, but I can't. Mm. And I had remember that a few days ago, I had received an email from Amex saying that I have been approved for, pre-approved for a loan, Can for a personal loan. That's what you did? <laughs> okay. And I just remember going online and, you know, thinking it through. I said, I believe a few things. I believe in the market. Because I've seen the business model work in the U.S. And I worked at Restaurant Cheetah firsthand and I know what the market looks like in the U.S. and Colombia. I believe in Fancho's ability to execute and build a top-notch team. And I believe in my ability to find a job that pays well, regardless of where I'm located. It might take a month. It might take three months. I don't know. So I basically did the calculations and I said, okay, I'm going to take on this loan. Interest rate is cheaper than my student loan, so not a big deal. And I'm going to make sure I have enough money to send that angel check to Fancho, as well as enough money to support my living expenses for the next five to six months, assuming I don't get a job. And I'm pretty sure that I will find some kind of job in the next six months. So literally, I said, Fancho, I'm in. I actually sent him a paper check and part of the strategy of sending him the paper check (laughs) took the picture. said, find your check is on the way (laughs) to give time for the money to come to my account. That's brilliant. Oh my God. And it wouldn't bounce. What? And and that was my, and that was my first thing. And now that made me realize something. It's sometimes you can be really creative with the constraints in your life in order to support your goals. And, you know, for me, it was much easier when I was investing in somebody else. But then two years later, I was in it. I was burnt out. You know, I had taken on several jobs. They were high stress, high work demands. My physical health had suffered. I had had back, back surgery, a whole bunch of health issues. My, my, you know, my blood sugar spiked. And I, t- I said to myself, how come I, I can afford to invest 10, 15, 20, $25,000 on a founder? And I cannot afford to invest in myself. Ooh, powerful. And I'm always thinking I need to have this job that pays so much money so that I can pay back all my debt and do my savings. Why can I do that for myself? Mm. So, you know, again, I went on Amex. I got a personal loan. <laughs> really? And I said... <laughs> I'm a giant right asterisk around all of this, by the way. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know if this I is necessarily advice, folks. <laughs> but no, no, no. And, and it's not, and it's and it's not, and it's not. And let me clarify, right. clarify that the with, lawyers are putting up a some small <laughs> text. Perfect. Uh, Amex can either love me or hate me after this. I don't know right. what they're going to do, but I think they're going to love you. I don't know. I I love, them. but anyways, um, and 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 just to be fair. What I did was I said, listen, this is enough money. 
for me to live without earning any income for the next year and a half. And that implied closing my apartment in Bogota. My sister had an apartment in Barranquilla that was open. And I said, Nati, I'm going to live at your flat. And I brought down my expenses to the minimum. I mean, this was COVID. So I would basically order like a giant shipment of fruits and vegetables from Fruana every week and just eat rice and beans and, and vegetables. And sometimes I would throw in some cheese. And on the weekends, I would order pizza and a burger to like splurge. Mm. But I was like, this is going to last me for a year and a half. I'm going to give myself six to nine months to build something. And if in six to nine months, this hasn't worked, start thinking about quitting. At the year point mark, I'll make a decision. And then I'll have six months to apply to a job. And if I got to, whatever it is, if I go into corporate, I go into corporate. If I go yep. back to an old employer, I go back. We'll just make ends meet. So to me, that was kind of like my, you know, bold, kind of risky yeah. um, investment. But to my point, you know, a coach is the kind of person and through the coaches that I have worked with, I've learned that sometimes we get so caught up on the constraints, right? There's a world where Pablo would have told Fancho, dude, I have no money. I'm sorry. And I wouldn't have invested. There's a world that, you know, when my partners at the time, Leon and Alejo said, listen, we're building Marathon. We want you to join. I would have told them, whoa, listen, I need a paycheck. But I'm not sure that world, at least for me, would be as awesome if... I hadn't taken the leap. If I hadn't said, listen, these are the constraints. I'm not going to focus on the constraints. I'm not going to think on the, on the fact that I don't have enough money. I'm going to think on where I want to be. Great. This is where I want to be. And now there's all these things that are going to get in the way. How can I solve for them? And that's what I talked about, right? Like when a coach helps you arrange your life in pursuit of your goal. And, and right now I'm talking about business goals, right? But this is very much also about personal goals. It's also about, hey, I want to have a family. I want to be with a partner that I want to be in. Great. How can I make that work? What are flexible work arrangements? What are job opportunities that would allow me to be close to my partner or to spend time with my kids or spend time with my significant others? Um, and I think that's honestly, for me, that's one of the most powerful things that a coach yeah. can do and then be a thought partner. And helping you structure your lives, your your life and your endeavors in order to achieve that. So cool. What a great story. I didn't know that part, but that's, that gave me goosebumps. That's amazing, man. <laughs> Very few people are that committed, but I, I love it. And that's part of beating the often path. I mean, that is it in a nutshell, taking the road less traveled, making those decisions that others might not make in pursuit of what? Something, something better. Like you said, more amazing life. I do think that especially business owners and founders and people who are so used to looking at spreadsheets all day, uh, when you see things like numbers, you have so many expenses that are thrown at you. And, you know, I have my small agency and there's just so many expenses, people costs, equipment costs, internet, just line items are always being thrown at you. And some of it you can't get around. But then when you think about adding willingly a cost of something for yourself, whether that's for your physical health or for your mental health or just for advice or anything, that always feels like, oh, I can't throw more onto that pile. 
even though yep. you may think some part of you knows that it might be beneficial or that it might help you. But it's it, it's tough. And I, I get that for many people, investing in themselves is the hardest thing because you think, why should I, right? Yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice. I can eat rice and beans. I'm fine. But then somebody says, hey, maybe you could be more than just fine. Yeah, exactly. And and cool. I think when you touch upon, have you ever heard of the concept of, of kind of like life portfolio or a portfolio Explain. of life? I mean, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, so and, and there's kind of like a, it's kind of like a trick. I, I I adapted it from a concept that is is you know they teach at Coactive Institute and they do coaching. Um, so basically, think of your life as a portfolio, right? Like you have different categories. You have your career. You have money. You have family and friends. You have your romantic partnerships. You have all these things, right? And I don't have you have you ever invest? Do you invest? Do you have a portfolio? Do you invest in assets at all? Oh, only in the very basic things like uh, index funds. I mean, I'm a very safe, low-key investor. I don't do any. I, I put $1,000 into Ethereum and then watched it all go away like five years ago. So my my brief foray into Coinbase was not successful. I think I still have an account, but it's like 50 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's not much. No, but that's a, this is a great example, right? Like you have a portfolio. You don't put yes. all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Right. Like you put some money in index funds, you put some money in crypto, you right, put right. some money probably in stocks and bonds. Yes. But you had your bets, right? Yes. And the concept of life portfolio is very similar, right? Like we we have career. And you know, think of the way that I that I like to think about this. Think of your life as a portfolio. Think of each of your endeavors as an asset that you can invest in. And think of time as your currency what you invest, right? So what ends up happening to, I think, most entrepreneurs, and definitely happens to me, is that I over-index on one or two things. Yep. I go all in on my career, and I put all my money in my career. Yep. Um, or I go all in on my relationship, or maybe I just keep those two. And, and, and it honestly happened to me, right? Like when, you know, there were, there were times in my life where, you know, I derived a lot of my self-worth, and identity from from the job that I had or for what I was doing. Yes. And then when that inevitably goes south, because at every point in time you're like, gonna go ah, south. Yeah. Who am I? Then you have nothing left to to rely on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't if you don't have a strong community of friends, shoot, who are you gonna go talk to True. when you're having a hard time with your partner and you just want to talk about it? Right. Your romantic partner. Or are you going to talk to when your business is going south and your invest one of the investors that was going to lead the last round wants to pull out yep. and you have to go out and fire 30 people that you had looked into the eye six months earlier and telling them, trust me, you should leave your secure job to join me on my dream. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the, the reason that I mentioned this is that for me, it's been a little bit of a hack. Right, because like the way that I think of it is great. Like if I don't invest my time in my friends, in spending time with my family, in spending time with my partner, shoot, it's gonna be really hard to have a successful career. True. Because when things go south, I will go way south. If you don't have other things, yeah. Exactly. And I'm gonna throw in the <laughs> towel. Because I won't have that support network around me. Um, so, so I bring that up because you talk about how it's hard to invest in ourselves. Right. And at least for me, it's even hard to say, oh, 
who am I to want to go to the gym for two hours before going to work? Might as well start work at 6 a.m. and get more done. Yeah, true. But then there's a part of me that reminds me that, no, if I do that, my health is going to suffer. Yes. My ability to focus is going to suffer. And a few months from now, I'm going to get really sick or really depressed or really anxious. And I don't want that to happen. You know, that reminds me, Tony Robbins has a great metaphor for assessing whether your life is balanced or not. And he says basically the same thing, but to look at it as a wheel where yeah, each that's spoke the wheel going out. Yeah, this is your career. This is your family life. This is your health. This is your mental health. And for a lot of people, they might have a 10 out of 10 in some category, but a zero or a one out of 10 in another. And the point is, can that wheel roll? And <laughs> if the wheel can't roll... Your life yep. is out of balance. And there were many years. I, I discovered that, oh, God knows, 10 years ago. And at that time, significant parts of my life were out of balance. My relationship was great. I'm still with the same partner. So it's like, there, there's a couple 10 out of 10s. My financial situation was a 1 out of 10. And I thought, this wheel is not going to roll at all. It's a little more balanced now, but I love that concept. Um, I think it's super cool, man. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, we, you've been very generous with your time, uh, and I know you've paused all the calls to be here with me, which I appreciate. Uh, I think it's really amazing what you've done, and, and, and most importantly, the way that you see the world and the way that you continue to stay focused on what really matters to you and that you think about how you can better serve people. So it's it's a super interesting story, exactly the kind of story I love. It's been an absolute pleasure reconnecting with you, man, and getting to to know you. Because, like I said, I've, I've seen all of your LinkedIn updates since then. I've seen, like, you've clearly been up to some crazy stuff over the years. <laughs> and I've seen your status updates, and it's just been wild. It's great to kind of hear all of the context and the story behind that from you personally. So it's been a, a pleasure for me to reconnect with you and hear what you've been up to. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. And, and the feeling is mutual. Really love That's what great. you're doing with this show and everything that you're doing with your agency. And yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it's, it. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, and of course, if people do need coaching or if they want to learn more about your mission, what's the website? Where can they find you? Yeah, it's it's kokora.io. Okay. And how do you spell that for the people who um, <laughs> yes. may not so be native speakers? E, so, so no, good call. C O C O. R-A.io. So think of like Coco as, you know, the Disney movie. Yeah. Uh, and then add an R-A afterwards and .io. Perfect. Well, Pablo, you're a very interesting person, and uh, I will be cheering you on continuously from the sidelines. So thanks again. And with that, the official podcast is over, my friend. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes we've shared, it would mean a great deal to me if you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice or on YouTube. And of course, if you shared either the show itself or this particular episode with somebody who might want to hear it to help us grow the audience for the show, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you've been a passive listener all this time, I get it. I understand. There's no big deal with that. But it would really, really mean a lot to me if you'd leave a positive review and help me grow this show. So thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.